Ladies and gentlemen, it is time. We have we have the format and the opportunity to discuss some breaking news here on Source Material. And uh, granted, I don't do that a whole lot, but there are some times where something hits the comic book world, and I feel that we have we've got to talk about it. Uh, here's the thing: November seventh hit. I, I'm perusing my I'm perusing through my social medias as I usually do. And I see a there's a local DC writer here in my town. Oh, well, I say in my the, in the mid Ohio Valley. OK, he's right across the river. The, I think his quote was something like I had to look twice because I thought this was an April Fool's joke. <laughs> yeah. You know, this was something where you're like, oh, bull crap. And then you check it again. And you're like, OK, now this is one of those things where you're like, OK, I kind of verified it. But now I need to go to a different source. Because this, I, I almost don't want to trust this. I, I don't know if this news is right. And you go to a different source, and you, and you, sure enough, you verify what this this crazy earth-shattering news is. And like I said, here on Source Material, I can remember when we talked about the whole Secret Wars pizza discussion. How many years ago was that? Like two or three years ago when Secret Wars hit. And we had to discuss it. It was. It was. <laughs> um, well, so I read the news and I'm like, okay, well, that's that's pretty crazy. I sit back. I work for a little while. And then a uh, good buddy of the show, his name's Josh Calandris. And he's on here with us tonight. How you doing, Josh? Doing well. Doing well, doing well. He sends me a message. I believe it was via Twitter. He's like, whole, you know, I can't even remember what you said. I know it probably yeah. had an expletive. It had an expletive, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and uh, I, I was like, wow. Yeah, this is pretty crazy. Um, well, I, can't, then- I can't remember who I originally saw it from, but the it was somebody that had retweeted DC's announcement. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I mean, if it's coming from DC, it doesn't sound like something they'd want to joke around about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I think an hour or so had passed. And uh, another friend of the show and current guest tonight, Benjamin J. Cologne, uh, sent me a message and said, are you in, are, are you doing a show about this news? And I said, well, you know, I think there might be some interest in it. <laughs> Uh, I think we might. How you doing tonight, Benjamin J. Clone? By the way, I'm doing good. I got a three day weekend ahead of me, so uh... jam. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. So okay, and then Ronnie Adams. You know, I got to bring you on here. How you doing, Ronnie? I'm uh, yeah, I'm good, man. How are opinion. you? You've got an opinion on this. Thing. I got lots of opinions. All right. So let's talk. Let me read the tweet. All right. This is the tweet from DC. It specifically, I'm quoting it right here from from Twitter. We are beyond thrilled to welcome Brian Michael Bendis exclusively to the DC family with a multi-year, multi-faceted deal. He's one of the premier writers in the industry, having created so many unforgettable stories wherever he's been. And we can't wait to see what he has planned for the DC universe. We are so excited to start working with Brian Michael Bendis. All right. Now, we... I think the way that I'm going to try and structure this is at least kind of give a history of uh, a, a leading up kind of to, well, up to about November 7th, uh, according to Wikipedia and some other sources that I grab from who Brian Michael Bendis is. You may be sitting there going, well, who is this guy? I've never heard of him. Well, that's fine. Maybe you do under a rock. <laughs> Maybe you don't read comics. Maybe you shouldn't that's live. Fine. Loser. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, you, this 
is a prolific writer and it has pretty much been exclusively Marvel. Okay. If you pick up a Brian Michael Bendis authored book in the last, uh, well, 17 years, 16, 17 years, it's most likely going to have Marvel on the cover as well. So now there's, there are some independent books that he's had his hand in. I I do want to say that we, we, we have a list and Benjamin J. Cologne has got a list of everything that he's worked on since, uh, well, since you, is it from the beginning or just from Marvel? Did you say Benjamin? The list I have is, is stuff that he worked on at Marvel. That would include powers because technically powers was something that he started at image, but brought to Marvel after Joe Casada basically created like a separate creator owned, you know, subdivision, almost, ex- almost specifically so that Bendis could bring powers from image to Marvel. Aside from that, uh, this is all like Marvel stuff that he's done. This is not a, com- I don't think this is a complete and comprehensive list. This is everything that I could find in, you know, on short notice, but it's a pretty long list regardless. It's not, not in any particular order, but. Uh... Okay. All right. Well, hold on to that real quick. And I want to go real quick around. Around the table here and just ask one question before we get to a lot of the stuff uh, from Marvel here. Josh, I mean, you were the first to kind of contact me and say that this was something that uh, obviously hit your radar. Do you know or have you read anything uh, independent wise from Brian Michael Bendis? I want to say I have a couple volumes of power. Okay. Um, and kind of looking around at his, his bibliography today, I mean, there's really not a lot beyond powers. Uh, it looks like he did something on image called Salmon Twitch before that. Do you know um, do you know much about Salmon Twitch? I know nothing about Salmon Twitch. Okay. Then um have you read much Spawn? Um whew, it's been a long time. But yeah, it were, looks like it looks like he read he, he wrote like a, a ten issue series for Spawn, Hell Spawn. Yeah. Salmon Salmon Twitch, I believe, were the detectives. Yeah, they were the, the partners that were hunting down Spawn or Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I it saw looks that. like he did that that Hell uh that Hell Spawn series. Ashley Wood did the art for that. I need to go back and check that out because Ashley Wood's I'm, art's awesome. <laughs> Holding it in my hand right now. That's all. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Uh, so okay, so you you think it was powers that might have you, you might have seen? How about you, Ronnie? Did you did you pick up any Brian Michael Bendis before you know he became huge when he hit Marvel? Yeah, I, he started picking up mostly. I, I just read him in Marvel. Okay, but I started noticing him while in Marvel, you know, while he was at, you know, at Marvel, but I know he wrote mm, Scarlet. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. He wrote that. And I tried to read that, but I didn't get, get to it, which is sad to say. I think that was a creator owned title. I know he wrote the same in Twitch. Uh, but mostly, I stuck with like read a little bit of powers, but I stuck with mostly the Marvel, um, the Marvel series. Okay, okay, how, all right, Benjamin J. Cologne. What, how about you, man? Did you did he pop up at all before he went into Marvel <laughs> for you? He he did actually. Um... Because, uh, you know, I was a big Spawn fan, uh, you know, in the 90s and around 2000, that's actually my first exposure to Brian Michael Bendis was was Hellspawn, Mm. uh, which was, you know, looking back, like he kind of did his best with it. But I don't think it was really like at the time in his wheelhouse, like he was he was a crime writer and like his, you know, his bread and butter back in the days was like was was true crime stories and and, uh, sort Mm. of 
horror stuff. And he actually got better at doing horror. And ironically enough, it, he got better at doing horror in, in Ultimate Spider-Man, which I'll probably get into later. But Hellspawn was kind of, you know, early on and it, the art was great, but it didn't really, you know, I don't think it did kind of everything that he wanted it to do. But that was kind of where he first got on Marvel's radar was through Hellspawn and then through Sam and Twitch. Sam and Twitch was the first uh, book that he collaborated with um, Alex Maleev, who he worked with on the, throughout Daredevil. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that was one of the things I picked out through the wiki history was, you know, he, he began work with Caliber Comics, made uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of associates and, and colleagues doing that, including one Mike Oming, which we just, I think, spoke about here when we did, we talked about Thor Ragnarok uh, earlier, <laughs> earlier this week. Uh, but then he gets picked up by Image Comics and then Todd McFarlane sees some of the work that he's done and says, hey, why don't you do Sam and Twitch? Uh, and that's in 1990 that was 96 97 and 98 that's when powers comes into play it's not too long after that that he gets noticed and marvel brings him into the fold all right now easy question here i'll throw this at josh as a softball all right we'll see um he goes to marvel what is the one title that you read or at least noticed brian michael bendis on first uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured. Ronnie, are you the same yeah. way? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and Benjamin. Well, oh, go ahead, yeah, Ronnie. Um, that's when I, you know, I knew, kind of knew his name, but I started really noticing noticing him with Ultimate Spider-Man, and then I just started picking up everything he, you know, was a part of or yeah. trying to. Um, but yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man. Benjamin, same thing or anything different there when he hits Marvel? Short answer is hell yes. Uh, if you want the long, let me know when you want the long answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was, again, going through the wiki, and they said that this was, Quesada brings him in, okay? I mean, they gave him the reins to a property and said, hey, we're starting everything from scratch with Spider-Man. Do you want it? And I mean, who wouldn't want the opportunity to write that book? They so, kind of did him like they did um, Favreau. Okay, explain. Um, Favreau, they, they handed John Favreau the very first Marvel Universe movie that said, don't screw this up. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Here's the thing about Ultimate Spider-Man and the Ultimate Universe in general. Like, it overachieved like crazy because mm -hmm. the, the story with Ultimate Spider-Man, and, and Mark Bagley talks about this a lot, too, is that they didn't expect it to go past six issues. You were right. so good. It was a big old experiment, but it was so good, and everybody loved it so much that they just kept going with it, and then they built a whole... And then ultimatum years. happened. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. He, he started with uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, but he also was doing a, uh, a Daredevil three-issue limited series from day one at Marvel 2. Yeah, yeah. The Daredevil Ninja? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Well, they, they had said that, just like to echo what you were saying, Benjamin, it did so well that it was actually surpassing the Amazing Spider-Man mainstream title. At the time, this was very... Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man came out a little bit before they did the, you know, before J. Michael Straczynski came on Amazing Spider-Man. Believe me, I know this period of time very well. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, at the time, believe me, at the time, Amazing Spider-Man sucked. Oh Until wow! Right before JMS came came aboard and and made a lot of the sweeping changes that he made. So, but within a couple of months of each other, you had two really really 
just high quality uh, Spider-Man books. Yeah, that was I look back on that very fondly. That was like, you know, that was that was my best time as a Spider-Man fan. <laughs> well, 90s. as a footnote as well, in 2001, he's also helping out with the Max series, which he begins writing Alias. Mm-hmm. It's a good read, man. Ladies Jones. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Jessica Jones, if you've watched that on Netflix, I think you have Brian Michael Bendis to thank for what we, uh, at least that iteration of Jessica Jones. Was she a character prior to Alias that he, that he molded, or did he create her? Do you guys know? Created her straight up. Okay. Oh, really? For that for that title? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Oh my god. Yeah. They he tried like he kind of worked backwards to kind of like work her into the you know into some of the history of the Marvel universe, but he that was his doing. No kidding. Wow, he did really well because I didn't realize that he created her. Oh, yeah. That's so. That's two thousand one. Good now, night for me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we it, you look at Brian Michael Bendis's his influence on the marvel universe and we're going to hit that list here in just a second but i do want to talk about you know the events that he's had his hands in recently well i say recently i mean throughout at least the 2000s i mean this guy had his name on just i mean many of the big events that happened in marvel continuity throughout that time and so he molded uh, i remember in the te- the ted talk i was watching he he said yeah you know i'm 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 responsible for a lot of events that make many comic book readers mad now back then when you were enjoying these things you, you didn't realize how tired the whole comic event would be after a while but the thing is is that if it's written well okay great we're on board in my opinion a lot of a lot of the reason that i got back into comics and stuck with it because the first i think the first comic that i started regularly buying again was uh was ultimate spider-man and the first one that i bought was august 2001 that's kind of whenever i started that i just moved to huntington i just started going to college and i had exposure to an actual comic shop down the road and so that was possible and that's kind of when that worked out for me and then the marvel events of the 2000s were happening i don't know a lot that i didn't like to be completely honest like the Mm -hmm. major ones like civil war and house of m like all those ones from the mid 2000s or whatnot i mean i'm on board i hear you so Benjamin, let's go ahead. We'll get to the list here. You you go ahead and read them. Yeah, and if anybody uh, has, if anybody wants to tell me one that I missed, because like I said, this is probably not a complete comprehensive list. So if anybody wants to shout at me that I missed one, feel free once once I get to this. In no particular order, we have Daredevil. We have Ultimate Spider-Man, which he wrote, you know, more, you know, in one form or another for the full 17 years he was at Marvel. Uh, Powers. Avengers, including Avengers, New Avengers, Mighty Avengers, X-Men, including all new and uncanny X-Men, Alias, Secret Wars, the uh, not the most recent one, the one before that, that uh, not as many people remember, uh, House of M, Secret Invasion, Iron Man, believe International Iron Man was the was the side one that he that he also did with uh, Alex Maleev. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spider Woman, Electra, which not too many people remember, hmm. Moon Knight, The Pulse, Spider Men, Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel Generations. He co-wrote Ultimate Fantastic Four for the first uh, story arc with Mark Millar and uh, Illuminati. 
if I left any off, uh, anybody wants to let me know, go go right ahead. He did. Right. Um, he did the infamous Iron Man. It was, it was only twelve issues that ended here recently, which I was very disappointed in the ending on. But overall, was really really good. He did the uh, the Old Man Logan series from the mm-hmm. that bullshit War Zones they did on <laughs> Battle Battle World. Battle Wars, yeah, yeah, Battle World. Um, He did the Age of Ultron series event in 2012. He wrote three or four of the Avengers versus X-Men individual issues from that. He did the, uh, I don't know if this was the entire run and they canceled it or if this was just the front end of it, but whenever they started Moon Knight back up again in 2012, him and Alex Maleev did that for the first 12 issues. Yeah, I mean it's it's a little bit of everything, and then and like there was only a few issues of like different Spider Woman books, but he brought her like huge to the forefront in uh, Secret Invasion, I think it was. Oh, uh, I remember it, that it, twist. Well, yeah, Bendis was the big reason that Spider Woman came back from the eighties because like mm-hmm. that was that specific version of Spider Woman came up in the eighties and just kind of drifted on into history and never really did anything again. And then she ended up, he brought her back in some Avengers book or whatever. That's kind and, of, uh, that's kind she's of been story. a relatively main player since. That's kind of the story of Bendis. Bendis has very obvious pet characters. Like, and sometimes that works out really well because he can get, you know, he's very good at writing them. And sometimes it's a little too obvious, like obvious to the point where it kind of gets in the way. Okay. Well, of those, of those stories, Ronnie Adams, you first, what, what one stands out to you that you were like, okay, that was a great story that I had the opportunity to read. I would have to say his run on guardians of the galaxy. Okay. And house of M. Oh yeah. House of M. That, and, and well, that was, a, that was a good one. Why don't you do me some justification about guardians of the galaxy? I, it just <laughs> it was such a fun book when he had it because it, <sighs> These characters have a life of their own. It doesn't matter who it is. Um, they have a not life of their own, a different feel to them when, when Bendis is writing. I, I, there's a little more life to them for me, and I dare say there's a lot more humor, uh, that sarcastic wit that he brings to it. That's why he works so well with anything Spider-Man, because mm-hmm. he's got that uh, he's got that wit. Yeah, he, he, he mastered the Parker wit for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm struggling right now to remember the the storyline's name for Guardians, but it started I think number one and went okay. went pretty he far. Wrote it whenever it revamped. We ran, yeah. So, so it was he, like uh, Star Lord. Uh, it was one through twenty seven. Well, that yeah. first one that he did, and then uh, the next volume he wrote one through nineteen with a couple different one shot type things in the middle. Mm-hmm. So he basically wrote almost he wrote forty five ish. Yeah. He took it. Did he take over prior to the movie? Yes. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So the one that we read, <clears throat> me, you, and Mark discussed was not Bendis. Correct? It was not Bendis. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, and the iteration of that team, is it the same iteration of what we're used to, or was there people on there that know? <laughs> most no. people who haven't seen the movie would know, have no idea. For the most part, it's what we're used to. Okay. Okay, cool. Benjamin, how about you? What's, what's your, you see that list there, man. What do you, what do you think? For me, it was, uh, of course, it was Ultimate Spider-Man and all, but also Daredevil because I have the entire run that, that Bendis did on Daredevil. Um, mm. Ultimate Spider-Man, I, I man, I could go on and on and on about everything that I love about Ultimate Spider-Man, and I consider Bendis to be such an underrated Spider-Man writer because he almost exclusively wrote Ultimate Spider-Man, and people tend to kind of marginalize that, but they shouldn't mm-hmm. because for 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 a very long time, for a long period of time, it was either 
equally as good as the mainstream Amazing Spider-Man title, or in some cases, much, much better. And in some cases, it was the flagship Spider-Man book, and it was the most consistently good one. Like, at one point, uh, Bendis and Bagley were kicking out, like, 16 issues a year for a couple of years. Like, they were... Yeah, they were really churning those out. <laughs> they were so... Because Bagley, in the first place, like, in his in his prime, like, you know, in, in the early 90s, when he was on Amazing Spider-Man, he was doing bi-weekly. He was, he was drawing books bi-weekly. Like he's always been super fast and Bendis has always been super fast. So you get them together and yeah, they'll, they'll give you 16 books a year. So it was just, you know, I would just devour like, you know, every issue. And I have, I think I have similar to that. I have like from it, from issue six to like 114 straight across. And I've wow. read most of the other ones. And just real quick on Daredevil, just some of the stuff that he did on Daredevil, because I think this was kind of, this was, we were talking about Bendis's wheelhouse. This was, you know, taking, you know, all the, all the Frank Miller, like crime stuff that, that he introduced in Daredevil and just taking everything to like its logical conclusion. And he just put the character through so much hell, <laughs> but it was so great. And it was just one thing after another, like one of my favorite, this is probably one of my favorite Daredevil stories ever was the last part of um, Hardcore, which is uh, Daredevil, like, uh, I think the technical numbering is like one is 430. It's the last part where after he gets the living crap kicked out of him for like for like four issues, he comes back and just stomps the kingpin out beats him half to death, like sticks him on the hood of a car, drives it through one of the clubs that he owns and basically like just tells everybody like, if you, you know, this is your kingpin and I beat him half to death. And now if you guys want a kingpin, if you want somebody to run your lives from now on, it's me. I'm the kingpin now. And that's how the story ends. And I freaking love it. Wow. And it deals with the aftermath of all of that too. Like, you know, it, it just, you think through like Bendis was also really good at like taking, you know, taking characters and putting them in these, these impossible situations. And then he keeps going. Like he shows you the consequences and it's just, yeah, it was just a roller coaster. I, I can say that I've not had the opportunity to read him on any Daredevil, as far as uh, as far as I know. Uh, I'd have to go through and take a look. So maybe one of these days I can get back and check some of those issues out. All right, moving over to Josh. What, what, you got the list in front of you. Well, tell us what you yeah. think. I'm going to go, I'm also going to, I'm going to kind of cop out on this one and also say Ultimate Spider-Man just because, like I said earlier, I mean, it was the first thing that really got me back. It really got me into comics, real. I mean, not from the beginning, but as far as like an adult regular buyer, that mm -hmm. was kind of the foundation for kind of where I'm at now and kind of regularly buying comics. And I, I don't have quite the run that Benjamin was talking about, but I had basically... 10 issue 10 up through 78 missing one or two here or there and then i think is when i started moving around a lot for work so yeah. i've got a, a bunch of gaps at that point sure but i've got like a between that volume and, and the second volume with miles i've got like 110 issues or something like that but I, in addition to that i'll i'll also say um his run on all new x-men i liked a lot mm-hmm long time since i've regularly bought any x book just because back in the 90s it was kind of all just you you had you well i mean i like those stories but dude you had to buy seven different titles to get a story that's a and they all had holograms on the <laughs> yeah dude i have every issue of that fatal attraction storyline <laughs> um, yeah, but uh i mean it, it, it kind of brought it back for me i was like well bendis is writing it so i'll try this for a while and um i have like 50 issues of it and it's it was it was really that was the storyline where they brought 
Strange original X-Men into the future, into the present rather. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of where that started. But, uh, but yeah, those are my two. And, and that whole, I, I read that all new X-Men, at least, like I was saying earlier, about 15 issues into it right from the beginning. And the concept to me kicked ass. You, you guys mm-hmm. all know that I'm a time travel guy. You know, you throw that in as a plot device. I'm a big, I'm a big fan. And I know I've said that on this podcast a lot, but it was written pretty well. And there's still effects from that, uh, you know, from that happening still in the Marvel all universe. Those, all those characters are still in the current modern timeline. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, so, uh, Again, again, that shows his influence Uh, and and the you know, you can write a character and there were plenty of those speaking of the 90s that were being thrown into titles. I'm looking at was it Nightwatch, Benjamin? Oh, geez. Oh, Uh, sweet. (laughs) Bringing that up. (laughs) But all these characters being thrown into a title or an iteration of a character or a a spin on a character, you know, and they don't last. They go to the wayside. Well, usually what you saw, what, what Bendis did is he took a character in that. If he brought a character into the fold or if he took a, you know, took a, a certain take on a character that stayed and for better or for worse, because there's always going to be people out there that are going to grumble because of a change. Regardless, it's something that occurred and stuck in the continuity. It's not getting written off anytime soon. Uh, well, <laughs> depending upon I don't I don't know. I don't think there's any bad blood due to the announcement. I would hope not. But. Uh, in regards to Marvel and DC and what they're going to do, I, I'd hate to see him go like old school WWE and bury some of the stuff that he did. We'll talk about that here in a few. But let me just uh, go ahead. And I want to ask you real quick, Josh, what made you pick up Ultimate Spider-Man? I honestly don't even remember okay. um, because it was it was kind of like my, it was like I said, it was kind of my reintroduction comic. And it was kind of me walking into a comic shop as an adult in college aware of the fact that I now have the option to spend as much time as I want in a comic shop versus, <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, like my, my parents taking me to Charleston or, or somewhere with a comic shop and be like, yeah, we, we got to go at some point. Yeah. Just kind of me roaming around. And I honestly, to be completely I think a lot of it just had to do with just the vibrancy of the cover art. Okay. Mm. Oh, man. Fun, lively, vibrant book at the beginning. And the the art just really, really stood out. I have an Ultimate Spider-Man story that's similar to that. I'm not, I'm not sure if I've talked about it on this show at all, but it's, can, it's a heartbreaking story. Go ahead. Tell us. I remember, like I said, I have Ultimate Spider-Man starting with issue six. Um, so I start like I missed that whole first five issues. It was actually Bagley's art because I, you know, read Amazing Spider-Man in the earlier 90s uh, that, mm-hmm. that kind of drew me in. And once I saw that it was kind of going to stick around. But when Ultimate Spider-Man number one came out, I remember very well that it came out because I was in my comic book. I'm in my local comic book shop. I had a copy of, of Ultimate Spider-Man number one in my hand in the comic book shop. Oh, and I put it back on the shelf. Rough. <laughs> I put it back on the shelf because if you'll recall, I don't know if I'm the only one who feels this way, but Joe Quesada did the cover for uh, Ultimate Spider-Man number one. And to this day, I still think it looks atrocious. It looks, <laughs> I think it looks terrible. It's the one that, you know, it's the one that's, you know, got the photo background of Times Square. But, you know, Spider-Man's head is for some reason is like like half the size of his entire the entire rest of his body. (laughs) 
Yeah, so, I, I remember. Oh, they did, wasn't wasn't number two is, kind of the same way? Uh, <laughs> like it was yeah, a photo think, of like a car or something. The first, and... the first few, like the first five or six issues were like photo backgrounds. That's not the problem that I had with it. It was it was Casada's part of that that I had a problem with. What I'm trying to say here is the one time that I judged a book by its cover, <laughs> Spider-Man number one. I <laughs> kicking myself in the ass about that for 17 years <laughs> yeah that book's worth like a hundred dollars i know <laughs> damn and i might have even had a chance to get the white cover of that too like which is even worth even more wow uh ronnie back uh, back to you man did, did you did you buy any ultimate spider-man did you say you bought any oh yeah yeah i, I loved ultimate spider-man was it after um, after you found out it was business was on it, or was it just something you did on a lark to pick it up? It was just something I did because I just like Josh, I'd been out of comic books for a while, and it seemed like a fresh start, um, something that I could pick up from the beginning. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to get number one because uh, it was sold out everywhere. I mean, it was it was gone. That was back when Marvel had uh, had uh, no reprint policy. Yep. yep. They, and didn't, they didn't do reprints. That's why Ultimate Spider-Man ended up being so valuable. Mm-hmm. I jumped on board a little late with, with that, but not late enough to, to not enjoy it. Um, so, like I said, it was just fresh start, something I could follow almost from the very beginning and and not have to jump in the middle of a storyline or, or be careful where I, you know, what I read, you know, as far as, you know, get, or, or have to deal with back issues, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't want to, you know, I just wanted to just jump in and, and go for it. I hear you. And, yeah. The ultimate line where they were restarting, um, just seemed like that was the the perfect opportunity for that. And I always been a Spider-Man fan. So I was like, yeah, let's, let's go here. And didn't regret it. Loved it. All right, let's get to Miles Morales. All right, Ronnie, start us off. Did not want to like him. Oh, did not saw it as a as a cop out to uh, you know because of Ultimatum and killing off Peter Parker and all this other. I was like, even though it's not like Peter Parker, it's it's the Ultimate version. I did not want to like him. Didn't want to you know didn't want to start over. I had all kinds of thoughts in my head about it. You know that were just stupid at the time. Uh, and then started reading it and fell in love with it. Just, just absolutely couldn't sing, you know, higher praises about it because uh, one, the writing was was brilliant because it's Bendis, and two, um, it was just one of those things where I'm a I'm a stickler. I'm old school for for certain characters. I, I didn't want Peter Parker to be dead, but later on, you know, with with Miles, it, it didn't matter to me because he's just a he's a freaking good character. You know, that was one of those things where I just didn't didn't want to, but 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 liked it liked it a lot. Okay, I, I remember hearing. Uh, what was going on in the I'm sure it was either probably because I picked up a copy of Wizard magazine, but there was rumblings of what was going to happen. I don't know if Wizard was out of print there or not, but I know I remember there was some type of news. They're killing off Peter Parker. And I yeah. was like, what? what? Wait. And then, of course, I understand, you know, reading deeper into it was the it was the ultimate ultimate line of comics. Uh, but still, I was like, where where were they going to go with this? So, Benjamin, you have the floor, sir. Miles Morales. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is gonna. This, this might get kind of real. For, first of all, yeah, I I read all. You know, I read Death of Spider Man. Actually, I got the last issue. Once again, I have it in my hand. I got a bunch of comics that I threw out that I that I have. You know, to kind of look at right now. And Death of Spider Man just like rips your heart out, man. Mm-hmm. The way that it, you know, it's it's 
pure Spider-Man. Spider-Man goes down swinging, you know, standing is the only thing between him and, and like all of the people that he cares about. And just it was a hard read. It I'm, really was. If I'm going out, I'm taking you with me. And, and not only that, Bendis for, you know, almost since the beginning of Ultimate Spider-Man did a really good job of making Norman Osborn and the type of Green Goblin that he turned into really legitimately terrifying and even mm-hmm. beyond Death of Spider-Man, he's really scary and like you know this unkillable like monster. And it's all it, it it has a little a few shades of like Death of Superman, where they you know they both go down together. Basically, Miles, you know his his origin is that he basically witnesses this. He's already been bitten by the spider and he's already got the powers, and but he witnesses Peter's last stand supposedly, and and it kind of affects him. Here's the thing, um, I. You know, I've been a Spider-Man fan since, you know, since I was like six or seven years old, like as long as long as I can remember. I, you know, Spider-Man is one of my favorite, not just comic book character, but characters, period. But here's the other thing. Um, You know, this is the big old elephant in the room. Okay, like you guys don't know what I look like, but especially when I was a little kid. I looked a hell of a whole lot more like Miles Morales than I ever did like Peter Parker. Hmm. So... It actually, it, it's very, it's a very personal thing for me, and it means a lot to me to be able to show, you know, kids that, you know, that are kind of like that, that are Spider-Man fans, mm-hmm. you know, this kid that, you know, he's he's half Latino, and he, you know, and he's got the Spider-Man powers, and he stands for the same things, and he can, you know, he's somebody that, you know, that that is you know, that can be a hero too. And, uh, you know, that, that means a whole lot for me to see, you know, to go to conventions and see, you know, young kids like, you know, that look like that cosplaying as Spider-Man as, as you know, and, and they're growing up now and that's, and that might be their Spider-Man. That doesn't mean that I don't, you know, that I love Peter Parker as a character any less, but you know, it, it, it kind of matters and it, it meant a great deal to me, um, to see that, you know, even putting that aside, even if that wasn't the case, like, you know, like you were saying, um, um, the stories were just, you know, as good as ever. Like, like I said, Bendis's run on Ultimate Spider-Man, even into the Miles Morales years, were so consistently good. Like, I don't know how he did it for almost 20 years straight. It's kind of amazing. It was just one thing after another, one great story after another after another. Uh, and I'm looking at, you know, when, uh, spoiler, I guess, uh, you know, Ultimate Peter Parker actually, you know, came back basically from the dead. And there's speculation that basically, you know, that the uh, the experiment that created, you know, the two Spider-Man plus the Green Goblin has made them all immortal and unkillable. And there's a couple of issues of, of you know, Ultimate Spider-Man where it's basically just Peter and Miles versus the Green Goblin. And it's like like two or three issues of just this drag out fight. They both just put it on the line and, and uh, Miles actually gets the best of, of the Green Goblin. And it's it's basically the best sort of passing the torch moment that you can ask for. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So obviously, personally, that's affected you. That's that's a lot. I mean, for for different reasons, I, I was actually on board from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But just because the way Peter's death was written, like we were saying before, like it was it was a rough read. Like it, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like a as you read the whole story, it didn't feel like a cheap ploy to sell books. Like it felt like a really important moment for the ultimate universe. As it went through, just like Benjamin was saying, like the uh, the passing of the torch was done really well. It had the same feel 
of a Spider-Man book without the Parker persona, but mm-hmm. you kind of still had that beginnings of uh, Spider-Man young teenager type feel. I mean, it was just it was just a really well done, smooth trade-off. And I remember reading that Death of Peter issue and like sitting the book down and just like being super bummed, being like that was a really well done story and it didn't feel like they were doing it just to sell books like whenever they killed Captain America a few years back, right? Yeah. Because that they, they that that made that Captain America thing made news <laughs> and whatnot and they were yeah, I mean I I liked Miles from the beginning and have been buying his regular title ever since then. Mm-hmm. One of the things about the ultimate line is that you didn't know what what was going to happen a lot of times. You didn't well, know what was true. sticking around. What I mean, I remember reading the Ultimates. I probably read uh, the Ultimates before I read any Ultimate Spider-Man. I remember going like, oh, my gosh, what is going on in this book? Uh, and I believe that was Mark Mark Miller. Uh, we have the Hulk who is just un, unfettered eight, rage and just almost, eight people. Eight people. I mean, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was one of the appeal. The appealing part of the Ultimate Line was to be able to take things like this in a new direction. And Miles Morales became such a huge huge part of the marvel universe in general that when secret wars happened a few years back miles wasn't going anywhere mm-hmm. if it, it, dude if they would have killed off miles morales in the there would have been riots oh dude he brian might would have been, been so bummed that would have that would have made it feel like the entire ultimate universe was you'd been like done with you'd been done. Yeah. marvel yeah marvel comics would have been what you wipe your rear end with that's probably <laughs> how it would have went because that's bad i mean it, it, that would have been bad but they didn't they knew this was a character that everybody they had an emotional attachment to miles morales so uh, such a big that death of peter was such a a good story that i bought it and that was one that came in a bag right like that was a death of bag book or whatever so i bought that one and opened it and read it and i was like the bag like they they totally got me with like the 90s (laughs) i was like i'm gonna buy a second one like a like a sucker but i I went back and I've, i've got one of each nice very nice just real quick like if bendis has an enduring like legacy in marvel comics it's gonna be it'll be jessica jones and it'll be miles morales it'll be mm-hmm. characters that he introduced yeah absolutely the the whole thing with the the ultimate line is for me it got dark i mean it got really dark they introduced stuff that you you would never think would be in Marvel Comics. God, um, that third run on Ultimates. W- they were Ugh. hinting at incest between, between uh, Scarlet Witch and, and Quicksilver. Well, I had um, no idea. Well, I'm reading The Secret Wars, mm-hmm. and Reed Richards is a bad guy? Yeah. And I'm Reed like, well, who's this guy? Yeah. He's, I forget what they no. called him. Fantastic Four book was not bad, though. That was it. I, I like it. It wasn't. For, it depends they, who was writing it. Yeah. Warren yeah, is for sure. Fantastic Four. Well, but, you got Reed Richards as a bad guy. You've got um, the the hinted incest between you know brother and sister, you know the Scarlet Witch and, and Quicksilver, and then Ultimatum so rolled around. It was, and then Ultimatum rolled around. They're like, we're just going to kill people to kill people. So yeah. they killed everyone. If you know, uh, even in the end, they 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 just straight up murdered everybody. Some really sadistic ways. To- yeah, Blob was eating the Wasp. Oh jeez. So yeah. Hank Pym, Hank Pym 
in a fit of rage, bites the head off of the blob. And, um, it, it, you know, he, he grew and bit the head off blob and, you know, just things like that. It was just sitting there going, what am I reading? This is, this is not good. And, um, and a lot of people had the, the same, the same reaction that, that I did. Uh, I think I, I would hope, but, um, it, it, it seemed like that uh, Miles Morales, you know, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man, all that was kind of a break from the dark. Was kind of a um, was a light in the darkness. You know, it was lighthearted. It was still Spider-Man. He still had that feel, the humor, all the stuff of okay, you can breathe a little bit. You don't have to worry about people's heads getting bitten off or or brothers and sisters wanting to fall in love with one another. This is just Spider-Man. You know, even though it's not Peter Parker, it's still Spider-Man. No matter, you know, it still has that yeah, feel. It still, it still has, has that, that, yeah, the Spider-Man feel for sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and it was and it was a relief uh, to me at least. I don't know about anybody else, but I was just like, oh, thank God for the this first, book because the first the two volumes of the Ultimate, terrible. I, I like the first two volumes of the Ultimates. Oh, absolutely! But the third, that third one is when the uh, Scarlet Witch and Quick uh, Quicksilver incest thing came in, and Loeb was writing it, and it was really bad. Yeah. Well, okay. Now the news hits, uh, and we find out that Brian Michael Bendis is now going to DC. So now we have a lot of questions in our minds, a lot of excitement. I, I did put down here to maybe ask you guys. As to if you've heard or if you have any theories as to why the change occurred. I'll, I'll start with you, Benjamin. Did you have any inkling as to why this occurred? It seems like it felt like out of the blue to me, yeah. uh, but maybe to you guys it may have felt differently. But Benjamin, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm as surprised as everybody else. I, I thought for sure, like, if there was going to be one, like, guy that was going to be Marvel for life, it would be Bendis. Um, yeah. I had, I had no idea. And I'm hoping that there's no, like, bad blood, and this is just something that Bendis kind of wants to get out of his system. Um, because... You know, even now he's still got like some irons and you know some irons in the oven as far as Marvel goes. Like I, I don't know if the Jessica Jones uh, series that he that he started is is still ongoing or if he's wrapping it up. But he had that. He was still doing the you know Miles Morales uh, you know Spider Man book, which I'm actually kind of really worried about now. Um, because literally nobody has written uh, Miles Morales in a solo book ever, except Brian Michael Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, except for you know, Mark Wade has written him in a couple of you know, in in some issues of Avengers. That's about it. Very few people besides Bendis have written have written Miles Morales. Well, even Wade didn't doesn't quite get the humor and the and the not and exactly. the Spider-Man feel. Yeah, not exactly. Which is a shame because actually, Mark Wade is actually you know. Uh, as far as Peter Parker goes, he's actually a really good Spider-Man writer. But, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, I, and your guess is as good as mine as to, you know, why he decided. I mean, I'm hoping it's just, you know, yeah, he just decided it's time for a change and he saw the opportunity and DC kind of like, you know, uh, kind of, took him while you know while the getting was good sure there was a lot of positive stuff from other marvel people to him on twitter at least was there to say he might not to say he might have not you know higher up there at the end i don't know but i think bendis is generally a really like well-liked guy in the business by everybody anyways so Mm -hmm. i don't think i don't think he's got any real enemies in the business i think i don't think he takes himself too seriously either yeah Uh, um, he did a he he did a guest star on a book called Nailbiter for Image, 
and I was reading Nailbiter for a while, and he didn't write it. He was in it. He allowed his image, his <laughs> name, everything to be used. As a, as a comic book artist, it was trying to get uh, inspiration for a new book he was writing, and he ended up, and Nailbiter is about, um, about this town that produces serial killers. Uh, somebody always turns into a serial killer and I didn't get, I didn't get to, you know, I, it's still going to my knowledge. I, I only got so far into it before I kind of got, I hate to say this, I got bored with it, but um, Nailbiter re- refers to one of the main characters who was one of the killers that was caught and he would kill them and then he would chew the fingernails off his victims. Oof. Yeah, it was pretty, it was a pretty gruesome book. Yeah, it's pretty gruesome book, <laughs> but he allowed himself to be in the book and be murdered. <laughs> so, so in that universe, there is no more Brian Michael Bendis because he was uh, <laughs> he was murdered by uh, one of the serial killers in that town. You know who wrote that, by the way? You know, ah, can't remember because I know, like I, I'm just wondering because I know for a fact, like uh, I uh, Bendis actually wrote similarly wrote Warren Ellis into an issue of Powers. So it was Warren Ellis. It was Warren Ellis. There. Thank you. Okay, yes. There you go. So the, yeah, because was, that's that's was my first thought. It, it, maybe it was Warren Ellis. Yeah. Yeah. But as soon as you said his name, that yeah. So um, I mean, I liked Nailbiter, but it kind of you know kind of got to me after a little. I was like, eh, I'm a little bored with it, and it's a little too you know gross. But uh, it, it, it and I also had re- uh, read the whole like series of Hack Slash, so it was kind of more of that as well. But um, but uh, it, it was it was one of those things where I was like, "This really cool of Bendis to do that," you know. And I, but of course, it didn't click that it was Warren Ellis too. It was just you know, like I said, I, don't, I just don't think he takes himself too seriously, which is cool. Well, do you do you have any theories there, Ronnie, uh, as to why Bendis wouldn't maybe? Man, I've been looking, you know, googling and looking at you know Marvel's Twitter and everything else, and it, 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 there's no, it doesn't seem like there's any bad blood. Uh, it just Seems like maybe like you all said, it's just something he wants to get out of his system. And, and you know, you've, you've been sitting at the same place for 20 years, writing the same characters, um, uh, doing the same thing. While, yes, he's doing great, you know, a great job in writing storylines for the characters that we love and that, that we want to see going. He also is probably a fan himself and reads mm. and sees these things, you know, uh, and says, you know, I could do this and this and this with this character if, you know, if I if I could. So if if he showed some sort of interest, DC would be absolutely stupid not to pick him up. Yeah. And then, you know, it's only Marvel's. It's only Marvel's loss. It's it's Bendis and DC's game, you know, because one, he's going to get that exclusive deal with DC no matter what. And two, their their sales are going to pick up because they have Brian Michael freaking Bendis on their payroll. You well, know? I mean, the momentum is all with DC right now. It is. Yeah, it really in is. All the, in all the podcasts I, that we've done, like I've talked a lot about how like I, I'm I'm always going to prefer Marvel stories because that's yeah. where the bulk of my reading has come from, and I'm I'm more comfortable with. That universe and um at least in the grand scheme of things more comfortable with the fact that how uh it's compared to dc <laughs> yeah. but um I, i'm telling you there's some there's some i've been reading tom king's run on batman and he was the one that wrote the vision that i raved with you all about oh, a couple man. three years ago just finished um it. so good yeah, so good um but i mean that his run on batman's really good i'm actually re- it, it's pretty much just tom king fanboy but I, I, <laughs> he, he's writing miracle man right now which again i have no history on but in the grand scheme of the character sounds like a really lame character but it's a really good book <laughs> um 
So yeah, I mean, if 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 he can lend what he has, uh, if he can do half for DC what he did for Marvel, then it's going to be really good for DC. Oh books. yeah, it's going to be great. I know there's one book that, or at least one, you know, dream book. And if I may, you know, I, I don't know how familiar you are. I'm going to pose a question on here, uh, J- Jesse, real quick. Sure. Because I know Calandris has answered. But if there's one book that you want to see from out of DC that you want to see Bendis take over, what would that be, uh, Josh? Uh, you know, I, the the first knee jerk reaction for me is just a Justice Society book, mm-hmm. just That's because where I, I really miss that two thousands run. But at the same time, I feel like Bendis's strength kind of lies in an individual character's voice. Like he's, yeah. I, I, I like some of his team books. Um, I like that run on all new X Men, but um, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to kind of. <laughs> oh man, if he could do Green Lantern, that would be really good too. <laughs> 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 I, I just now popped into my head, and like I got like the school, like the kid in Christmas morning. I was like, oh, you giggled a little. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, well, there was one lady that I was watching today who said that they need to keep him away from the Trinity. Uh, they need really? to keep him away from Batman. They need to keep him away from Superman. They need to keep him away from Wonder Woman. Well, I don't know about that. I. I mean, if, if I'm DC, that's the last thing on my mind. I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what about what about you, Benjamin? What what book would you like to see him take over? I honestly, I I've wanted Brian Michael Bendis on a Batman book for years. Anyway, mm. like not just not just the Batman book, but I'm talking about like Detective Comics. Like that's his his that's yeah, his, that would yeah. work really that would well. work. Talking really, about yeah. like art, like gritty detective Batman. Like push that that no art detective stuff. Yeah, just push that to his absolute limit. Get Get somebody my my dream you know team on that would be bendis with with uh sean murphy drawing mm. sean murphy on art who's doing a batman white knight right now who is like one of my favorite artists working in comics right now who can just do no wrong but uh you know it, it's actually funny because um bendis has kind of always preferred i think he's he, you know or at least you know, it's at a certain point in his career, always preferred like lower key, like second tier characters that nobody else really cares about. That's kind of why he ended up with Daredevil, because, um, you know, it was a, you know, it was a street level character that, you know, was kind of maligned until like Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti brought him back up with Marvel Knights. I actually sat in on a, on a panel that he gave at a convention a couple of years ago and he, he joked like, you know, they always ask him like, you know, cause he, you know, he's a Marvel lifer. So everybody thought, mm-hmm. And they, they joked with him. They, you know, they said like, you know, if you were to go to DC, this was a hypothetical thing at the time. If you were ever to go to DC, would you know what book would you want to do? And a lot of people felt the same way I did. They were like, you know, you got to do Batman. And he would joke. He's like, you know, you know, everybody wants me to go, you know, do Batman at DC, but more likely I'd, you know, end up on something like Plastic Man. <laughs> yeah, That's absolutely. He yeah, he, 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 I think he would have some strength in like that detective comics format, but he would also pick out some character that has been hidden away for 15 or 20 years and would make them front and center for DC for a year and a half or something. And it would be awesome. The last good bring back the specter. (laughs) (laughs) The last good plastic man thing I ever read was uh, the furnace storyline in JLA with the Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter, they, they couldn't beat him. So they needed somebody that had pure chaos in their mind, and that was Plastic Man. <laughs> and uh, then it was actually Batman's idea. So it was like, well, that's pretty that cool. Story? How old is that story? Mm, it was probably early two thousands. I swear, I've, I've, I may have read that. Um, it was when he. The uh, he was I can't remember the name of the character, but he was uh, 
in love with this demon and uh, and she got him over his fear of fire yes and um and they realized that he they need he needs that safeguard in his mind otherwise he's going to be completely evil and completely unstoppable oh i think i i swear i remember that benjamin were you going to say something you know realistically like we can all say you know speculate on like what we would like to see bendis doing i think realistically in order for bendis to have been like lured away to dc at all I, I got to imagine they made him an offer he couldn't refuse, like one way or another. He may have agreed to like do a big name book immediately in order to maybe do some kind of dream project for them of some kind down the line. So I'm thinking like first and foremost, immediately if, if he doesn't end up doing Batman like or or a Batman title, my first thought is like you're gonna see him on Justice League. Mm. Uh, you're gonna see him on Justice League just because you know. The movie's coming out. They may want to, you know, bump up the sales of the comic. They need a hot, you know, a hot hand, like some, you know, somebody that's going to generate buzz. I'm thinking it'll either be Justice League or Teen Titans or maybe both. Like those are my that's my first thought that like Uh, that's the first thing that he's going to go to. He'd be so good on Teen Titans. That's exactly what it was. Then after that, who knows? Because next year, you know, Doomsday Clock is coming and I'm not sure what is going to come of that. But that's a big event that they're ha- I'm seeing TV commercials for Doomsday Clock, and I almost never see commercial like wow. versus promoting comic books. Yeah, so that's going to be a big deal next year for DC. And I'm wondering if they're bringing in Bendis to you know to kind of help construct whatever is gonna be the-, in the aftermath. Well, Jesse, yeah. Um- Man, I don't know. Sorry, I just kind of took over your show. My bad. No, dude, I'm I'm perfectly fine <laughs> with that. Um, the the one thing that I would like to see Bendis on. I mean, you guys threw out some really really great contenders, Teen Titans. Um, and, and I wish I knew a lot about his strengths. I seriously watched a guy tonight. He did a 15 20 minute video on just about the writing style and his opinion of the writing style of Brian, Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, one of the things that he mentioned in regards to his weaknesses were the fact that he does he does decompress story and it seems like sometimes he'll throw in when it comes to dialogue he just kind of throws stuff in there that really has you know you could be looking at a page it really doesn't further the story a whole lot but it's very kind of like personal so you get the the feeling of a character mm-hmm. even though there may not be a whole lot of uh, of stuff going on in between the dialogue there and i think that's one of the biggest criticisms that they weigh toward him so what would have to happen is he's got to be you know the the book and the character that he gets on has to fit his writing style. I would hate to see him get stuck on something that he really is out of his element on. Well, he's, so, he's kind of at the level. He can pick and choose what he wants. Like, he's yeah. not going to sign with DC and they're going to be like, you're on this book and that's the only way it's going to be. Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like he swamped done thing. it. I don't really know that that would be a problem. <laughs> that's true. That I mean, I, and actually, random. the more I sit here and think about it, like a Jim Corrigan, the Specter book by Bendis would probably be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> a dead cop acting as host to the specter i mean that's <laughs> well it yeah. lines up well there was a there was also a video ronnie i don't know i'm i'm kind of dancing around it because i really to be honest i don't know 
I honestly yeah. don't know mm-hmm. what he would fit on, but I can tell you this much. What I could see possibly happening, and, and this was so funny. One of the YouTube videos I watched today was from Sci-Fi, which I assume is the logo looks different, but I assume it's Sci-Fi Channel. Okay. They rebrand every like three All years. Right, yeah, that's be <laughs> so they're leaning so they, into the like geek culture thing a little bit more now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense because they did an interview with Brian Michael Bendis after a con, sat down with him, talked to him about some of the recent stuff he was doing with Marvel, and they dropped the video November 7th. All right. So they're asking all oh, these Marvel oh, questions. Yeah. And this thing only has like 630 some views. I'm sure it's because it's eclipsed by all this other stuff that happened on that very same day. But he was I, I wrote this down because I thought it was a very interesting quote. Uh, because the the interviewer was asking him about bringing the diversity to comics. So I think Bendis champions himself on that. He's very proud of, about the fact that he's able to do that with what he's done in Marvel. So I I you don't you're not going to change the man just because the guy's changing the company. He's going to go over to DC and we're going to see I, I think we're going to see a, a a lot of that because he's going to feel comfortable now and he's got a whole new sandbox to play in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that I, I wrote down here, he says he likes adding voices and flavors to the toy box because he feels that that's his responsibility as a comic book creator. Uh, so don't be surprised if what we get over in DC is, you know, more of, I don't want to say diversity, but more, you know, additional things. I don't, I can't see him taking the reins of Justice League and then just keeping it Justice League without throwing a shakeup or two in there. Well, I mean, he, he's been, he's been one of the primary people at that the the house of ideas table the the five to ten or fifteen or how many of them meet in a cabin once a year to talk about the next year's big things like he's not they're not bringing him on you wouldn't want to bring bendis on just to write three books for dc and have him do three different books like he's gonna be he's gonna be helping lead that company yeah he's right i mean you're not not hiring bendis to write three standalone books and then you know do events separate he's gonna be writing their big events and he He's going to be one of the however many people at the head of DC Comics decides the course of their overall feel. One of the titles that he had at Marvel was one. He was an architect. I don't know if you guys ever heard him called that, but yeah, he was like one of the architects of of Marvel. And I assume this was when he was brought in to do the ultimate line. Uh, Quesada coined him as one of the architects. So, yeah, he had some he had some, you know, he had some power and he had some uh he had yes, some great ideas, and they knew that. So the, la- the last fifteen or twenty years, that anything that you read about that that people at Marvel would talk would be able to talk about, and how they create their stuff is that's exactly what they do. Once every year or two, they'd get a handful of people that work for Marvel at some resort or a cabin or something, and they just sit and talk and kick around ideas. And if that's accurate and if that's true, then that just means that his eyes, his ideas, everybody in the room was like, that sounds awesome. Let's have Scarlet Witch wipe away all the mutants. You know, I mean, like mm-hmm. just just that type of stuff kicked around. I mean, if, if that's as open and honest a process as it is and DC adheres to anything remotely similar to that, there's going to be some solid stories coming, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not going to pull somebody away that has that much stroke in a company. Uh, you know, you're, you're direct. Um, 
opposition and sales. I, I think I, one of the things I will look forward to finding out over the years or decades or ever is um, I wonder I wonder how much Disney's ownership has played into this. Oh, you know, dude. Yeah. Because we're what? How, two, three years in? Yeah. How long has it been now? Disney? Uh-huh. Oh, no, no. It's been actually closer to like seven or eight years, I think. No kidding. Dang. I'm getting old. It was around 2009 that Disney bought. Yeah. No, you're right. 2009. Uh, Never mind. Wow. Well, yesterday. wanted to throw something else out there um and this this can go into both you know marvel and and you know bendis impending like going to dc something that he was also really good at if i can yeah go ahead villains yeah uh, ben bendis had this really good talent and, and it was underrated because um he didn't always draw like tremendous attention to it bendis was actually good like you know like i said he likes second tier characters he likes second string characters bendis was really really good every so often at taking almost joke characters or very like underrated and underused characters that and and kind of accentuating like whatever you know abilities they had and really like presenting them as being super powerful and super terrifying like i got a couple of examples like a couple of really good examples one was in the first arc of new avengers where he took electro who was mm. ever even in spider-man even when stan lee was right in spider-man was never taken all that tremendously seriously he was kind of like a glorified thug and bendis took electro and basically had him orchestrate a prison break um this is the first time i think you also see the raft which is like the super villain prison like smack in the middle of i think the hudson river in, in manhattan you're talking to avengers disassembled right is that avengers disassembled uh mm-hmm it was something like that. And um, yeah, the first time you see Whoa. the raft, which also pops up in Captain America's Civil War. So that's another credit to something Bendis created. And Electro basically just, you know, sends a sends this gigantic bolt of lightning to crack the raft open like an egg and just, just orchestrate mm-hmm. a whole prison break. And you get this sense like this is this dude who was treated like a joke. Who, yeah. You know, who just unleashed, uh, you know. But if you really think about it, this is somebody that commands, you know, electricity and can do so much damage and Bendis recognized that and you know made him into like you know a serious threat he did something similar with like with uh, Jigsaw in in, uh, in an arc of uh, Daredevil where like that he was the main villain in that and uh, you know just by some you know was just kind of outsmarted but he was treated like a threat in that the one that the one that ever, like you know actually made it mainstream was um, Kilgrave Purple yeah. oh yes yeah. Yeah. Kilgrave was first appeared in 1964 he was an OG Daredevil villain <laughs> I mean um, he was literally called the Purple Man literally called the Purple Man dude walked around with purple skin and, pur- and a purple suit Mm-hmm. But he took that and brought it into Alias and made him an antagonist for Jessica Jones. And you really, really caused you to think about, well, this guy has the power with you know, where by his voice and by this, you know, these this virus or these pheromones that he carries or whatever you want to call it, whatever explanation you want to give. But he can make people do whatever he wants. And in the comic, that's brought to like his logical conclusion of that's incredibly scary where you you have no control over yourself. You know, anybody that's seen Jessica Jones on, on Netflix and props to David Tennant too, but oh, yeah. mm. that's also brought to his logical conclusion where it's like, this is a terrifying person who actually is very much aware of the power that he has and will use it for his own, most of the time for his own amusement. 
and treat people like toys and and have no regard for for anybody's independence or anybody's control like bendis was really good at recognizing things like that that should be taken seriously that maybe hadn't been before now i'm going through my head and like thinking of dc villains that could either use a good resurrection exactly. or a, a, a nice shot in the arm for some potency. I mean, dude, that's going to be that's going to be fun to watch. Without a doubt, it's I understand why it grabs the attention that it does from comic from comic readers and, you know, pop culture even uh, because of the effect that his creations and his influences had on comics that Brian Michael Bendis has has had on just anything that was Marvel related out there. Now we get to see it go over to DC. Ronnie, do you have anything else you'd like to add? I'm not a big DC fan. The very few books in DC have really caught my attention, but as much as I hate to say it, I probably will collect. I probably will purchase anything that he, he writes in DC okay. and they'll be the first DC books that I've really, other than <clears throat> He-Man versus Thundercats <laughs> that I've bought in a long time. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, you see his name on a book. I mean, it's going to command attention now, mm-hmm. especially on a DC book. So, yes, I, I don't blame you there. I mean, I, I, last thing I, I wanted to say, like I, I'm really bummed out for Marvel just because I'm kind of just a, Mar- a Marvel homer. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm excited for an additional reason to want to buy DC books. I mean, it, they, they've they've stuck with this iteration of the universe without resetting for two or three years now which is uh, pretty good given how the last decade or so went so i mean there's there's starting to be some consistency that they seem to be sticking with um and i'm i'm probably right there with ronnie like whatever whatever book he's writing i'm probably gonna end up buying okay all right well then we're gonna start with you josh because you just kind of mentioned it here this last question all right do you think marvel's in trouble i wouldn't say they're in trouble but i I think that if if there was a reason at Marvel that Bendis left, then they need to take a close look at what they're doing because the books over the last couple three years have there's there've been good books. It's not like they're all bad, but um, it's it's taken a hit since Secret Wars. I don't obviously know if that's a trend or something going on with the company and the structure and the organization and management. But um, if Bendis leaving has something to do with that, then they then yes. If not, and he's just interested to write for a whole new set of toys in in, in the toy box, then then probably not. I think I'm, I'm thinking along the same lines as as Josh. I don't think so. I don't think either company will ever really be quote unquote in trouble. But they they do need to pick up their game. They they've not really you know in my opinion they their storylines have have suffered since uh, since Secret Wars or Secret War. So they need to realize that one of their biggest players is gone and they need to, they need to really pump out some good ideas here as of late to, uh, to make up for that. Mm-hmm. All right, Benjamin, how about you? Marvel, should they be worried? Um, worried in terms of, you know, one of their, you know, one of their golden boys just went over to the competition. Yeah, maybe a little bit as far as their own products and their own, uh, you know, what they, what they've got going on. I think it's actually probably a good opportunity for, you know, some of the other guys, uh, you know, in Marvel stable to kind of step up and Marvel still got some extremely talented people working for them. Mm-hmm. Chip Zdarsky is doing, uh, you know, Peter Parker over at Marvel. Dan 
Lancelot's still doing Amazing Spider-Man, like which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, which he's about to, you know, he's about to come in on on Amazing Spider-Man number eight hundred, which is insane. Wow. I think only Stan has written more issues than he has now of Spider-Man. I think that's official. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like every everybody else, uh, you know, Jason Latour is doing. I think still doing Spider-Gwen. They've still got like great, you know, people working for him. And now it's funny because now they won't have Bendis doing like three or four books a month so maybe you know so now maybe some new blood will come in yeah <laughs> uh, yeah maybe with that some new ideas the funny thing is is like a lot of the a lot of the greatest creativity in comics right now is coming from from image and from creator owned stuff and from independence and now what you have is people doing their own thing and doing their own independent thing and kind of dabbling in marvel and dabbling in the mainstream and dabbling in superhero comics and there's nothing wrong with that i mean sometimes you get some really interesting creative people going in really creative directions that way um is that going to kind of jive with you know marvel being you know a little bit more micromanaged by disney than it you know has been previously i don't know um i'm hoping they find the balance because one thing you can say like pre-disney you know in the 2000s when joe casada was running you know w- was running things um you know say what you want about joe casada believe me i've said plenty but <laughs> <laughs> but at least he had, you know, in, in the 2000s, he had a plan. He had some objectives that he wanted to, you know, that he wanted to get out there. He wanted to make Spider-Man top comic again. He wanted to bring Daredevil out of obscurity. He wanted to bring Fantastic Four back to its roots. He wanted to, uh, you know, make X-Men kind of the hot, controversial book again. Uh, this decade, there's been like a little less cohesion. Like it's it's been a little bit more all over the place as far as Marvel goes. Some things have been good. Some things have been great. Some things not so much. So I'm curious. You know, Bendis leaving might kind of throw a monkey wrench into a lot of things. And maybe to make you know a wrestling analogy, I guess you know we're, some of us I think are still wrestling fans. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, it's it's when you're kind of forced to when your hand is forced that you become the most creative. Uh, you, you know you see that you've seen that in you know WWE past, and that happens in a lot of companies. You know you get complacent when you you get comfortable, and it's only when you lose that comfort that you kind of your back's against the wall and you're forced to find new ways to succeed. I agree. I I think that it will be interesting to see how Marvel uh, compensates for the loss of quite a big creative talent uh, that they've relied upon for quite a while. We've seen a bit of a change here recently with the way Marvel is doing things. You know, we're going back Benjamin, you mentioned the legacy numbering, uh, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 800. They're, they're going back to some of these characters because there was, you know, quite the uproar about the big change and stuff like that. So they're in the midst of trying to find that balance to try and make everybody happy. I'm sure it doesn't make it easy to watch somebody like this go over to the competition, but that just means they've got to do something to figure out how to compete better. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that can be said competition makes the market that much stronger. So let's just hope it's a win-win for comic book fans altogether. With that being said, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, this has been our coverage of the breaking, <laughs> breaking Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, 
as we'll get into plugs. Let's see you guys have anything else. In addition, I don't have any plugs or anything, but um, Benjamin mentioned Chip Zdarsky, and I've, I've sang his praises on some of our cast uh, in mm-hmm. the past before, too. And something that I'm looking forward to that he's doing is uh, Marvel's actually bringing back the old Marvel 2-in-1. Oh, and uh, yeah, it's it, and Chip's going to be writing that, and um, it's going to be a uh, the thing in the Human Torch book, hmm. and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to that because I love Chip Zdarsky, and uh, uh, I think that the. I think that the fact that Marvel doesn't have a Fantastic Four book is just as absurd, if not more so, than DC not having a JSA book. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we can get some semblance of that, then I'm pumped for it. And if Chip's going to write it, then I'm all over it. Heck yeah. Uh, just the usual stuff. As always, as ever, I write, draw, self-publish a comic called Soul Exodus. You can check it out at uh, soulexo.com, facebook.com slash soulexo, on Twitter at soulexocomic. Uh, I've got something new on my drawing table very soon. I've been every so often, I'll throw something out on Twitter under the hashtag heroes. I just registered a domain name today, heroesoneandall.com. So I've got something that I'm working on. I've got a script written and I will be hopefully producing some new art very quickly in the new year. So now that I've said that, now I have to make it happen. So yes, <laughs> it's official. Also, I mean, I want a quick plug uh, sketchbook Saturdays, which always keeps me entertained by uh, one Benjamin J. Cologne. What was the last one you did? Last one was uh, Hulk for World War Hulk. Cause uh, oh, right. literally like a couple hours before I went to see, go see Thor, Ragnarok, which I love, by the way, and it it, it was kind of insane. I've I'm on my fourth sketchbook, and I hadn't done like not one Hulk sketch, so uh, wow. it kind of works out that way. Um, but yeah, that's you know I always joke about. Well, I joke in my head like any you know anytime anybody just came out of October, and you know October is usually Inktober for a lot of artists. Mm-hmm. Anytime anybody asks me, you doing anything for Inktober? I'm like, I don't need to do anything for Inktober. I've drawn something <laughs> every Saturday for the past you know three years. <laughs> Well, yes, that's right. That's the truth. Uh, and I, I don't know if I had the opportunity to thank you or not, but uh, again, thanks for taking my suggestion for the boys over there at uh, Back to the Future Minute. Oh, and, that was a blast. Uh, <laughs> that was so cool. And I also ended up doing something for, you know, for those guys for uh, for dueling genres. So, yeah. No kidding. You. That's thank awesome. You. Yeah. Remember, I did the, you know, I, I did the trailer for their, for um, Geek by Night, which I, which, you know, while we're at it. Check out, you know, doing genre productions and Geek by Night because those guys are great. They do a great oh, yeah. drama. And uh, yeah, and you thanks for introducing me to them. Make friends oh. who are it as always. Ronnie, you got stuff going on over at Screaming. Yeah. I know you do. I know you do. What's it's it's been resurrected. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, actually, found two episodes that I had not released pri- uh, previously uh, because of you know we yeah had some uh, computer problems and things like that. So I just released two episodes. Uh, that we did in the past. One was uh, for <laughs> here in my car week at the Radlich Rad- oh, wow. Podcast Network. Yeah, Dang, yeah. That's Iconic movie cars, and you and I were on there, and uh, and Adam. And then we did Mystery Science Theater three thousand, um, the new season. Uh, so we took a look at that, and it was uh, me, Adam, and Josh. Uh, that were uh, Jesse, were you in on that? I can't no, remember. I think I missed that one. I missed that you one. You did miss that one, even though you are credited for being on it. 
Um, I'll take it. Yes, please do. Um, <laughs> Make a cameo. I breathe at one point. <laughs> so uh, we just released those uh, two episodes. I think it was Wednesday. We we put this taste Thursday. So it was, yeah, it was yesterday morning when we put those out. Um, as 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 we record this, um, and then we have a new one coming out tomorrow morning, uh, which was we covered Stranger Things two. It was basically a Jesse and I gushing over this this <laughs> poor um, Adam this, the show Adam in classic fashion he's he's didn't he had watch not watched it. it and we spoiled it we tried not to spoil it for him I think he took his ear away <laughs> he took his ear away we we're like <laughs> earmuffs Adam they were like oh my gosh it was so good and then um so uh that will be released tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. and then uh, check us out on any social media Twitter's at Screamboy PR Instagram is Screamboy Podcast Facebook just look us up on Screamboy Podcast and then uh, also this weekend as we record this which will be the November 10th through the 12th I will be at uh, New York or New York I'll be at the North Carolina Comic Con uh, Bull City which is in Durham uh, just checking it out and um, having some fun and doing some live updates and uh, lots of cool creators, lots of uh, uh, lots of stuff going on. I mean, this is, you know, I don't, I've never been to San Diego Comic-Con, so I don't know. I know it's madness there, but this one seems like it's turned out to be pretty, pretty cool. I know they have a free concert if you bought a weekend pass or a Friday pass tomorrow night. And then we have uh, Friday, there, see, this Friday night. Saturday night, there is what they call Guardians of the Gala, which is uh, pretty much a dance party. <laughs> uh, they're turning it into a club. Uh, so it's a cosplay dance party, uh, which is going to be really cool to, you know, check it out. And then, um, you know, of course, your your basic uh, awesome Comic-Con stuff is going on. Artists, you know, creators. Your host for the whole thing is DMC from Run DMC because he's got a new, he's got a comic book coming out. And then the gentleman who played uh, Deadshot in the Arrow series, can't remember his name, the actor. He's going to be there. A voice from Steven Universe is going to be there. That's one of their big uh, big people. And Rob Liefeld is making a, an appearance uh, Saturday and Sunday. So I'm going to take his infamous giant-chested Captain America picture and see if he will sign it for me, uh, depending on how much he's charging for signatures. So I just want to take it and have him look at it and say, no, no, no. I want you to sign this because I want you to realize what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> he um. probably gets he probably gets so much crap heat. yeah he gets yeah. so much heat every somebody probably does that don't think you're unique ronnie adams i guarantee I'm you there's probably three other people in I'm, I'm not thinking i'm unique at all at, at, at all but on this because if you know and, and listen i i used to draw i used to sketch and back in the in the 90s he had a big influence on how i drew and just because back then it was pretty cool mm -hmm. but then i started looking at you know just different things about him like you know he, he doesn't draw feet and if he does they're diamonds but listen, I, I may joke, I may, I may give the man a hard time, but he is a creator. He, I'm not going to. You should just, you should just roll with it. Be like, I love this. This is some of my favorite art, right? And that's like, kind of what I was going to do. Straight up honest and see if he's like, thanks, thanks. <laughs> this is my favorite picture of Captain America ever. You could rest a drink on his pecs. <laughs> Um, but like I said, not to take anything away from the man, cause he gave us two iconic characters, Deadpool and Cable, you know, and you know, he's a creator in his own right. So I'll, I'll never begrudge him that, uh, because you know, he's doing things that I can't, you know, even though I used to, I, I can no longer draw. So it, it's just the fact that the man has no 
has no concept of of biology, which blows my mind. <laughs> you know, just how the human body bends and and works. At, but anyway, so he's going to be there, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, as long as cell service uh, cooperates with me, I will be doing uh, live updates. If not, they'll be recorded and 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 put up on Facebook. Hopefully, get some cool little interviews. Richard Case is going to be there, who drew a lot of Doom Patrol and and uh, Sandman. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that. I met him at Greensboro Comic Con. He's a super nice guy. And the uh, I can't I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head. It all went away. Oh, there's going to be a uh, they're having it all weekend. They're having um, a uh, movie viewings. Uh, you know, Last Starfighter, Terminator, Adventures uh, in Babysitting. Just a lot of cla- you know uh, Godzilla versus King Kong. A lot of classic movies that you know everybody loves. Uh, so those are going to be really cool. So it, it's going to be you know it's it's really big. I've not been to anything like this. Uh, when I went to Fayetteville Comic Con, um, it was huge. It was a little overwhelming. Uh, Lou Ferrigno was there. A few other you know. So it was really cool. So I've not really, you know, I don't know what to expect with this one. Uh, so I'm pretty, pretty excited about it. So that's pretty much it for me right now. Uh, but so if you're listening to this live, I don't know if we have any live listeners, uh, check it out this weekend. I'll be doing some live updates. If you're listening to this recorded, uh, go to the Facebook, check out the live updates, check out the pictures, iTunes, Stitcher, tune in and the radio Election broadcast network, which is where you can find the show. Uh, and I will shut up now. <laughs> All right. That sounds like it's going to be a fun weekend. I'll keep an eye out for the live, uh, Facebook, uh, videos. If you, if you throw them on up there, please so, do. Well, okay. Just, real quick you can follow me at stiznarky on twitter source materials twitter is at source matcast go give the rattlich and broadcasting network facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts that we have to offer if you are listening to this live today is the 9th of november it's a thursday tomorrow's friday now we're smack dab in the middle of thor week right here on the rattlich and broadcasting network and we didn't really have a show lined up for friday at least not one that Mark Radlich had scheduled a year in advance, uh, <laughs> like he always does. But uh, what I did do was I was like, hey, we, we kind of have a bit of a gap. So I talked to one Robert Winfrey and I said, sir, will you allow me to go back three years and grab the Thor Everyone Loves a Bad Guy episode and put that on for Friday? So tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, you get a real treat. You get a dip into the archives worth. It was Robert Winfrey and Pat Mullen who discussed the villainy Ooh. of Thor. So yeah, there's a lot of villains that happened in the Thor magazine or the Thor comics. So check that out. Uh, that was a easy pop all starship. <laughs> I can remember. I can remember listening to that. Uh, and, and you will learn a lot. There was a lot that was learned. Plus, one of my favorite stories was mentioned, the God Butcher saga. Ooh. So, yeah, check that out. And that'll be hopping on there tomorrow morning. I got it set to drop 8 a.m. And then, yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, you can go back in the last week. This week, whatever week, Monday, the Monday of Thor week. How's that? Uh, The Monday of Thor week was where me and Mark Radlich, real quick, easy digestible episode, ladies and gentlemen. It was no more than just a tad bit over 30 minutes where me and Mark Radlich talked about Thor disassembled, which was pretty much Ragnarok that occurred in Asgard. (laughs) 
and Thor had to deal with it. Uh, I think it was a six-issue miniseries that took place in 2004, 2005. Good story, because I'll tell you right now, yeah. I had the opportunity to read that and then watch the movie, and it was a bit of a primer. I kind of knew what was going on. I was like, oh, yeah, that's Surtur right there. I wouldn't have known Surtur from a, a you know, something. I, look, I'm street-level starch. You throw me up in Asgard, <laughs> I wouldn't know my butt from a hole in the ground. So I, I'm glad I had the opportunity to read that with Mark and talk about it. Learned a lot. Uh, other than that, ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of Source Material. I want to thank Benjamin J. Cologne. I want to thank Josh Calandris. I want to thank Ronnie Adams for coming on here. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Have a good one.